Welcome to Coffee and Change. I'm Bill Kirst. As a business professional, a U.S. veteran, a lifelong learner, and an active listener, I help others navigate, understand, and adapt to our ever-changing workplace and world. As a third culture kid, I call many places home. Presently, Seattle is where I explore my creativity through the power of words and images. In this podcast, we journey with our guests, gaining knowledge and inspiration from their stories. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for listening. I know it's been a minute since there's been an episode and I appreciate your patience. But I am proud today to launch this episode with a former guest who is rejoining the podcast some 60 episodes and 30 months later from when he first told us his origin story and the book he was writing called The Fired Leader. Well, great news is that book releases in a few days. This episode was a bit of a reunion and a little bit of a redux. I'm proud to call Paul a friend a fellow thought leader, and now a published author. I encourage you to check out his book, The Fired Leader. If you look at the show notes, you'll see there's an exclusive link as well as a discount code just for Coffee and Change listeners. And now, let's reunite with Paul. to welcome you back to Coffee and Change. I was doing a little calendaring and I realized it's been two years and six months since we had our first recording, episode 68, and this is episode 128. Wow, okay. So 60 episodes have gone past between then and now. Wow. And and what an interesting time it's been and, and friendship that we've built and this whole thing that we're building and taking out to the world one person at a time so yeah no I'm, I'm excited to be back and to have a chat with you and, and as you know these are always unscripted and raw conversations and it takes it wherever it needs to go so I uh, I am at your mercy in terms of where where we want to kind of dive into sure so um, for 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 kind of those that might be listening to this one um, I encourage folks to go back and listen to episode 68, which was Paul's sort of origin story and his first joining of, of uh, on the Coffee and Change podcast. So we don't need to recount or retell that. However, I would love to start in a place of timeliness, and that is on two accounts. One is your book, which has been uh, long in the making, is about to be unleashed on the world. Um, in fact, I think, keep me honest here, Paul, but the uh, ebook edition is, is available to uh, pre-order today, and then the print edition comes out next week. So I'd love to start by talking about the journey to getting this book to where it is about to be unleashed onto the world. And then oh, secondly, yeah. I would love to talk about the headlines that you and I and the world has been reading about what might now be or who might now be the world's most famous fired leader, Sam Altman. <laughs> yeah, wonderful. I Yes, absolutely. I, I, I was just kind of like jotting down some ideas as well that, uh, you know, when we talk about these things, 
we might want to kind of keep ourselves aligned to certain areas and just go within wherever we we decipher and one of the one of the words i wrote down was journey and um it seems very apt to your first point because it has been a tremendous journey and you know it's put gray hairs on my head it's made me look a bit older it's it's you know and i shared this in the first conversation with you two and a half years ago um you know i had i've had people walk away from me in my life um friends romantic partners i've had family members you know ask me what are you doing paul like why are you just why don't you just fit in why don't you just stay in your lane and that was one of the things that i heard for so many years and and amidst all of that i i knew that there was something i had to to bring out and birth to the world and i wouldn't know it at the time it would become fired leadership and and a whole suite of other things around that as part of my thought leadership work and and it really was born from this this niggling feeling that i just couldn't stand by and watch and experience the hypocrisy of the way that we identified, recruited, onboarded and developed leaders anymore. And I myself was a leader, as you know, and people that know my story, I was a leader and I wanted to fit in. I didn't want any of this. And and so I was fired four times for demonstrating the qualities that I was hired for. And that led me down a path of self-reflection, a lot of reflection time, windscreen reflection time, driving through the mountains, as well as kind of reflecting on what had I done what was my issue? What had I done wrong? And then I started to think, I wonder if it's not just me. I wonder if it's the organizations and their ways of recruiting and attracting and retaining talent. And that's what really started this this process. The journey was to say, I started this with, in 2018 with this hypothesis, which asked, I wonder if we're firing the type of talent that we need with the types of leadership qualities we'll need to navigate ongoing disruption. As I said, it was 2018, right? So before what I would later call the largest global human capital experiment in history called COVID. And so alongside all of this, you know, I had these people in my life and I had professional colleagues and everyone saying, what are you doing to stop this? And I was like, no, I, I, there's something I have to come out with in the world to talk about. And it was just, it was germinating and it was forming. And and the journey to get this book has to, to where it is now uh, has been since 2018 and it's gone through a slew of experiences as well with people behind the scenes in the publishing industry writers uh, storytellers website designers uh, literary agents and and that in itself could be a, but it could be its own book bill right the whole process of writing a book everybody now is coming up to me and saying oh you've written a book well done that's really cool and i'm like but you weren't you some of the people that were on the path saying that this would never happen and why was i doing it and it, and and i just want to point that out which is everything that's happened in that context leading up to this has actually been fuel to the fire and it's actually made me want to do this more and more because the closer you get to what you're birthing and the more difficult it becomes internally and with the world you know you're on the right path. And now we're at this point where I wrote down this other point, which kind of maybe we can pick up this this thread, which is the world is at a tipping point, right? Our social norms, our norms about leadership are changing. 
what was acceptable five years ago is no longer acceptable now. We're starting to realize with the plethora of research and points of view out there. And I have a unique point of view, as you know. And people five years ago started to discredit it, not listen to it, marginalize it, like they marginalized me as a leader for demonstrating these qualities that I was convinced that we needed for the future. And so I spent a year of my life researching leadership programs around the world to find that these things were missing as well from the way we develop leaders. And so everything is almost like this, this converging to this point where we are right now. And there's a tipping point and, and I'm experiencing it with unwavering dizziness, basically. So I pause there. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. You know, there's, there's something that I remember from our first discussion, you know, our first recording and our first episode we did together. You said then that you were on a quest for honesty. And I think it's mm -hmm. so interesting to watch how the world has changed these past couple years, evidenced by not only the things we've seen in the headlines, but evidenced by the same people that told you you're, uh, you're rebellious, you're, you're, you're a deviant, you're doing something that is going to isolate you. You're doing something that's going to cause further rejection. You know, as you said before, just get back in your lane, get back in the box. And I find it really fascinating that it almost takes a headline-grabbing item to get people to understand what folks like you and I and others have been saying for years. And... Yeah. I'm curious how that feels now. I mean, you and I have obviously, through our friendship and our connection, we've been in the sort of the ups and downs of that experience, both as published authors, but also as thought leaders. Does it feel different now, mm. those having those same people who, who rejected you four or five years ago, now wanting to write endorsements for you? Yeah, this is, you know, when I said it's been a journey, Bill, um, it's not just been a professional journey. It's been a spiritual journey. It's been an emotional journey. It's been a journey of maturation, quite frankly, for me, because when I started this five years ago, I think it would be fair to say that I was on a quest to understand why we were not honest in our organizations. Why did we say one thing in the recruitment process? and do another when we had the talent in front of us delivering value. And nobody could answer that question for me. Nobody has since, nobody can, nobody will, except anthropologically, we are hardwired to, and that's my background academically, but anthropologically, we are, we are hardwired to not want change and resist change until something is forced on us or through our own volition of choice, right? <laughs> the latter is much easier than the former. But, but this quest of honesty permeates everything I do. And, you know, to ask me how it feels, I, 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 I have to refer to the journey that I've been on behind the scenes because I wanted to throw the grenade in the room to blow up the system. In fact, I was at a conference in 2018 um, by the brilliant Mark Edgar, who's chief people officer and, and one of the people that uh, was an alpha reader for my book. And an amazing guy does amazing things. And, you know, I was at this conference with the most 
innovative, and I'll put that in, you know, air quotes, innovative HR leaders across North America. And without going into the whole story of it, basically I questioned how innovative they were. And I, 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 wanted, to, I wanted to shake up the system. And I said, we need to blow up the table. We need to blow up the way that we look at innovation because we're not being innovative. We're constrained by our linear level thinking. And there was some there were some very interesting reactions in that conference. And they used my analogy of blow up the table to determine how often they were they were being innovative in that conference. Uh, it's almost like Jim Collins when he says, right, create these B hags and you know, do you find this BHAG exciting, this big, hairy, audacious goal? If not, go back to the the drawing board and, and talk about it. So I wasn't angry. I wasn't bitter. I wasn't twisted. I just want to clear that up for anyone over the last five years that has thought that. And once they then speak to me, they realize, oh, you're on a quest to regenerate the future of leadership. You're not bitter about being fired. You don't want to sit on Oprah's couch and talk about the companies that fired you. No. I've never wanted to do that. But what I did want to do is shake up the system. And I wanted to do it in a way that was impassioned. And I realized in my own maturation that people aren't going to listen until or unless they're ready. So I've gone on a quest behind the scenes to start to understand my ego and the impact that the egos had. Um, I've understood where some of that came from. And to your point about like, you know, how do I feel that some of these people are endorsing the work now when they discredited it five years ago because of that personal work? And that never stops, as we know. I've embraced it and I welcome it and I and I softly chuckle because the world wasn't ready. And so now as I've evolved, the way that I do this has evolved. I meet people where they are. I'm a compassionate disruptor. I met another guy the other day who's a founder of what, what he calls the Octopus Movement. It's got thousands of people around the world. Perry Knopper, great guy, hopefully going to talk to him about some stuff. And it's all about nonlinear thinking. And my work is all about nonlinear leadership. And the you know when I, when I sit here today talking to you now, I'm also reminded of something that Brené Brown said, right? where she said, you know, unless you've been in the arena with me, I don't care that you're throwing peanuts from the cheap seats. Keep throwing them. They're not, you're not in my shoes. You've not done what I've done. So until or unless you do, you have no say at the table. And so, you know, all of these polarizing, oscillating things are in my world. And now I just think, okay, I've spent the first bunch of time trying to open up the world and shift people's thinking and drop ideas into shift thinking and paradigms. Now the world is starting to wake up, Bill. Now we're starting to realize, oh, this crazy guy isn't so crazy. And there are more of us. And there, you know, I'm meeting tribe members around the world as we speak. And I'm so excited because now it's about positioning and leveraging that to create the nucleus for change, right? Whereas someone could look at this and say, yeah, I feel kind of um, vindicated and I feel like I was right. Yeah, a moment of vindication has passed my my thoughts, but it's not about me. My my story is a platform to build a new paradigm about a new thing that we need in the future. And I and I've been doing that. So how do I feel? I feel, you know, I I, I have no idea what's going to happen, no idea what's coming. And I believe that the last five years has been the foundation for all of this.
And we are now at that tipping point where, where people are starting to say, maybe there is something to this fired leadership. Maybe there is something to this crazy guy showing, you know, drip feeding all this content over the last five years. And I'm really happy that the world is starting to wake up. This isn't over. This is only beginning. And unless and until we get honest and honest-based dialogue into the fabric of our organizations, I can hear the naysayers now, it'll never happen. Well, stay over there. I'm not interested. I'm interested in progressive thinking, right? Because honest-based dialogue creates the conditions to have uncomfortable conversations, which basically help evolve us as individuals, as leaders and organizations, so that we can be the captains of industry, so that we can evolve humanity. And so, you know, I've I've kind of it's a great question, and I, you can tell I've gone gone to the depths with this one in my own reflections. And um, I'm not going to be sitting here saying I told you so to the world. I'm not. That's just not my nature. I'm not going to go L pat on the back. Well done, you. You saw it ahead of everybody. No, that's not my nature. My nature is to be a guide to help people as they start moving down this path. I just connected the dots earlier, Bill. That's all I did. Yeah, I think. I mean, it's so powerful to hear you stand in your truth. And also, like you said, it's 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 not just personal growth, it's spiritual growth. And I do I do think it could be very tempting for someone to sort of stand back and, and do the I told you so's. But here's the thing about being a pioneer, right? Here's the thing about being an early intuitive is you are going to be anywhere from two to five years ahead of the curve. And that's a lonely experience. Mm. And I think it's from that loneliness mm -hmm. and that solitude and frankly, inner work that we grow the most. And I think that's what you're speaking to is, is, is you had to go through that. You had to be on that island of, for lack of a better term, misfit toys. <laughs> um, <laughs> to you had to be yeah. somewhat rebuffed and rejected in order to actually revisit your truth and say hang on a second what is my purpose what is my calling what is my drive here and it's strengthened i mean since i've known you right it is strengthened and it is it has built upon itself in a way that i personally believe nothing could tear it down now mm. Well, thank you. That's, that's very humbling to hear. And I think, you know, I wrote a word down here, uh, lonely and pioneer. And, and so, yeah, it is lonely. It has been lonely. And uh, again, as I mentioned, finding tribe members globally is, is really quite gratifying because it's everybody's got a different perspective on, on this kind of work and meeting different people at different stages of their journey is really actually reassuring as well because it's almost like you know and i and I, in the book i talk about this um, and actually i've got some subtleties of icons and um kind of graphics where you know think about this whole thing as a campfire analogy right and and i worked with um uh, a designer called tan mavora who's a brilliant guy talented in terms of articulating people's philosophies and, and thinking about leadership and one of india's um, most prominent hr influences and does some great work with with many established authors so i was very 
very kind of humbled when he accepted my request to work with me in this crazy idea of fired leadership. And I was like, oh, thank you. And so, you know, he, we, we included some icons in the, in the book around, um, you know, the, the first part of what I'm doing is really clearing the space to develop the campfire. All right. So I'm getting the space ready. And the second part of the book is really to kind of build the fire itself and with the kindling and put all that in place and the third part of the book is the match is to light the fire and so the first two parts of this have been very lonely for me you know you, you gratefully use the word pioneer you know i've had other people call me the father of generation z which i think is a little bit too excessive and humbling but but i'm no father of generation z all i am is a guide right? I'm writing a book and um, I have a philosophy of thought leadership at a unique point of view that is shifting the way that we look at emerging leaders for tomorrow. That's it, right? Now I want to put this in into the world. So the fire is starting with a match. You know, we started this idea uh, again, you know, five years ago with an idea of saying, quite literally, I was in a basement eating pizza, playing ping pong, table tennis, right? With this hypothesis that I talked about earlier. And I was like, if one person does something different with what I'm, um, you know, incubating here and starting to pull out to the world, then it's a success, right? And then I had this crazy idea, what about if a million people could? And, and you know, we've got 50 endorsers of the book that, that I'm drip feeding through socials. And the top 10 endorsers, their combined um, network is six and a half million. And so, you think of now this campfire, I've created the conditions. I've, I've, I've showed why we need a shift and approach and why we need to do something different. I've created the environment. Now I'm lighting the match. And so now the fire started. And so my hope, my aim is that we can create this ecosystem globally and that we can, we can embed the idea and the ideas that are in the book so that they become the vernacular and the lexicon for the future of leadership. So when you, you know, when you're in a, an organization and someone says to you, Hey, have you, Bill, have you been on that fired leadership program? You know, I was a bit skeptical at first, but I heard about it. You've gone on it. You seem quite different. How do I get on it? Oh, there's a waiting list, Paul. That's the future. That's where I'm heading with this. And it started from this very lonely experience and, kind of being looked at you you call it a pioneer i i referred to myself many times as a pariah right and i was like okay i'm i'm a pariah falling out of favor with society because i question and i question the things that people want to question but they're so conditioned and so complacent that they think that they're not enabled or empowered to question well i'm here to tell you that you can yeah I, I so. absolutely. I'm going to, I want to read something to you by another author and I'm going to, I'm going to read it to you and then I'm going to tell you when it was published and who, who wrote it. Um, I, okay. I read this this morning and it stood out to me. So it reads, nothing is off the table in how we think about shifting our culture to deliver on this core strategy. Organizations will change. Mergers and acquisitions will occur. Job responsibilities will evolve. New partnerships will be formed. Tired traditions will be questioned. 
Our priorities will be adjusted. New skills will be built. New ideas will be heard. New hires will be made. Processes will be simplified. And if you want to thrive and make a world impact, you and your team must add numerous more changes to this list that you will be enthusiastic about driving. That was published nearly 10 years ago by Satya Nadella. It was his first letter to investors when he became CEO mm. of Microsoft nearly 10 years ago. I'd love your thoughts on hearing that back. Yeah, that everything in there is, is all driving towards a different way of thinking is to embrace different, different thinkers, different styles, different ways of ideating. And, you know, there's a, there's a culture there of like not wait, waiting for permission, like drive forward with ideas, fail, fail quickly, innovate, keep going, keep moving forward. And also there's reference there to looking at and evolving archaic structures, impediments that impact the ability for those ideas and that creativity to thrive, to make a real difference. And so, you know, unpacking that archaic organizational structure, you know, job responsibilities will evolve, um, you know, new ideas, you'll change the way you work. I mean, that that's also smack right in the middle of the whole future of work agenda that was forced upon us to, to look at differently because of things like COVID. And, you know, I've been talking about these things as well behind the scenes around different structures and ways that will engage and um, empower talent. And, and obviously in, in that extract you've read, there's, there's elements of that too. That speaks to something else that is also quite uncomfortable in the world of HR, which is in order for those things to be realized, processes, systems, approaches need to evolve, which means sometimes some of the stuff that we've got right now isn't fit for the future and it's constraining people. And so how do we create the environments where what you've just read is an everyday reality for every organization around the world, regardless of whether it's a Microsoft or a, you know, a smaller organization. So yes, I, I, I'm, uh, that's, that's quite, and it's almost quite telling that you would read that in the wake of everything else that, that has been happening recently with, with some of the tech industry and, and some movements that are going on there. Um, but yeah, that philosophy is very much what we need, Bill, for the future of leadership. And if our emerging leaders do not have that mindset, then what are they doing? They're just doing the cut and paste approach the way it's always been done. And I hear people here saying, oh, things will never change. Well, of course they won't with that attitude. Like you either get on the train, it's leaving the station, or you remain behind. It's your choice at the end of the day. So thank you for reading that. Yeah, you know, I saw that this morning and I thought to myself, wow. Mm. Um, so, so something like this nearly 10 years ago in an investor's letter is 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 applauded, is celebrated. And you're essentially saying the same thing, but with an even more uh, introspective approach to it, right? Asking people to do the work 
right? And uh, it starts yeah. off in a place of people saw it as, as rebellious. People saw it as counter. And now here we are, you know, almost 10 years into that person's leadership and a week into this, you know, operatic drama that is playing out. And we've been introduced to the world's most famous fired leader. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I Just before we go in, into, can I name him? Sam Altman? Can I? Can yeah, I, please. Can I, yeah. yeah. I mean, because I, I believe in just speaking my mind and being being very transparent and i am a fired human as a, as well as a leader i'm a fired human and and so but, but just before we go into that um so so what that extract talks about is is the future and what holds it back from becoming a reality is the present and i i i exist partly to 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 bridge that gap to, to help translate how do we make that happen in this current environment and one of the things that really is an impediment and a, a blocker is people's reluctance to try something new and their their feeling of safety with something that doesn't quite work completely but we don't want to lose it because we feel safe with it and and it's that also it's that hypocrisy that says right because I've worked with clients that, that you know, obviously not of, of um, Microsoft CEOs stature, but I've worked with CEOs and other C-suite that have these emboldening visions. And then I go down, down the levels to talk with leaders below the C-suite and then at the front line. And there is this disconnect. There is this on surface, on the surface, yeah, we get it, we love it. We're, you know, the rah, rah, rally cry, great. But then something seeps in, which leads to almost a buildup of scar tissue. And it's this, it's this realization that we're still in a hypocritical environment. We're still in a, an organizational structure that prevents that from happening. And, and then I see people say, well, I'm powerless. I can't do anything about it. So they resign themselves. Well, that's just, that's, like, that's easy for that person to say. They're up there. You know, they don't know what it's like down in the real world in the role. And and it's until we address that delta and that hypo hypocrisy that stuff like this is going to become it's even more difficult. So so there is some real stuff to shift out of the way to, to make that beautiful BHAG a reality that everybody's living. And so, so I just put that in there because I think it is not as easy as everybody thinks. And what gets in the way often is us. That's it. Systems can't change. Well, COVID proved that they could. We can't work remotely. COVID proved that we could. Oh, we're not going to be that productive if, if remotely uh, working. COVID proved that we are. You know, it's not without its downsides. It's not without its challenges. But but the point is when people make excuses and they just assume that the excuse is valid without delving deeper, we never get that change that that vision will result in. Yeah, I mean, people say oftentimes, we hear it a lot, right? It's it's um, it's repeated a lot, but be the change you wanna see in the world or be the leader mm -hmm. 
you want to work for in the world and yeah or just or just be or just be the person you want to be there there you go as well be the good human and have your and have your organization have your peers have your direct reports all cultivate that and embrace that you know i don't like the word accept because accept implies the opposite which is i don't accept you but what about just creating the environment of embracing everybody creating that you know that that cognitive diversity where where everybody's ideas are brought to the table and valued whether you're a ceo whether you're a janitor doesn't matter right and and that is true um true equality true level playing field yeah that's when we get to the so no equity right the capital e equity yes so i know you want to talk about um the world's most famous fire yeah, leader at the moment. Because I mean, <laughs> I don't think we could have predicted this on literally the the eve, the dawn of your book release. But when we talk about tribe, which mm. I am glad to be a part of, honored to be a part of, I think you just inadvertently, unexpectedly, surprisingly got one of the most well-recognized tribe members as part of the fired leader tribe this past week. So I'd love to, you know, we don't have to rehash all the events. I mean, everybody's probably read the headlines. There's a lot of speculation. But I but I think what's really fascinating is one of the things that people are still hungry for is this quest for honesty, right? The employees that waited at OpenAI's headquarters in San Francisco to find out if he was going to be invited back the first time right? All they asked for was honesty. And they didn't get it. They didn't get transparency. Mm -hmm. They didn't get honesty. Um, Sam, I think, didn't even get honesty based on the original, you know, text that was sent to him, the Google Meet that he joined, where he was, he was then fired. Um, He wasn't given honesty as to why. And so all of this is played out at, you know, mega proportions, um, impacting the markets, there's been obviously the is he going to Microsoft? Is he not going to Microsoft? Now I understand he is back at OpenAI. He is back in the position as CEO. So as you watched all this, I'm just curious what what was on your mind as literally the book you wrote came to life like a play last week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, two two kind of areas of thought came came to mind really. One is the continued hypocrisy of the way that organisations are run, and in this case, the board. With, with you know, again, without going all into that, I think that that's just symptomatic of of really section one of my book. Why why I you know why I'm dishing this up on a plate for you, the world, to say. This is happening like the open AIs of the world are one example. This is happening all over the world in, in organizations that we'll never hear of, that will never make the headlines. But the fundamental premise is the same. Hypocrisy runs throughout and nobody's talking about it. So to me, again, I'm not, as I said earlier, I'm not the guy that's going to sit here and pat myself on the back and say, yes, told you so. It's just not, again, it's not my nature. It's it. It's a very attention grabbing headline grabbing kind of um case study 
and it highlights, you know, what I've been saying for a number of years as well, which, and again, people roll their eyes at this, but, you know, imagine a glass door uh, where, you know, you have the ratings for the glass door, like for companies and employee reviews and stuff. Imagine if leadership and boards were rated against a toxicity barometer, right? And that whole thing was public, right? Again, people I hear say, that will never happen, blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, well they said they, they thought the world was flat at some point, right? And so I can see in the future, uh, and I, I, I would welcome to develop this with Glassdoor because I've been developing ideas behind the scenes, but knowing the world that we live in, someone will take the idea and develop it, which is great because I'll then say, thank you. Because again, that's what I've found over the last five years. Those people that said I was a misfit and pariah, as it starts to gain traction, people start to leverage your content, which again, I'm very appreciative of because my view is I want to open source the future of leadership, right? So I know lots of thought leaders that go, oh, this is mine. This is my IP. I'm going to trademark it and hoard it. Why? Why? People are going to leverage your ideas anyway if they're good. And so I'm, I'm flattered. So please keep doing it in the world. Please keep doing it. Um, and, but the second thing that the, the open AI thing comes up, uh, surfaces for me, is that those leaders were, and I don't know them. I, don't, I reached out to them, actually. I don't know if they'll respond. I emailed both of them on Twitter as well as found their emails and stuff. But the, the, as leaders, they have demonstrated the fired leadership qualities. They're driven by something bigger than themselves. They're purpose-focused. They're honest. And they're very clear about what they're doing and why they're doing it. So the fresh thinking of the fired leadership um, methodology, they're real, you know, they're, they're expressive and challenging, they're direct and transparent. And so clearly they were curious and inquisitive enough to, to create what they've created. So, so they are representations of fired leaders at that, at that level. I wouldn't, I wouldn't kind of say that they, because I don't know them, I wouldn't do an assessment of them and say, right, they meet every single criteria of the fire leadership methodology. But they, they are leaders who have um, stood for something bigger than themselves. And they are leaders that, that want to create the environment to take these ideas further and equip and empower people. And again, when I look at the, you know, the blueprint of a fired leader, that's exactly why they exist. And so there is it, it, it also for listeners that heard us a few years ago and also for my work as I, I put out, you know, further and further and dispel the myths of fired leaders. It is it is intentional on my, my part that I call them fired leaders because I, as a platform, was fired for having these five qualities. I went and researched and figured out, did we need these five qualities for the future? Turns out we're not developing leaders for these qualities. It is no accidental pun that I spent hours upon hours looking at all the examples of, you know, when I demonstrated certain qualities that led to me getting in trouble and fired and then starting to piece together all of the synonyms of these words. You know, these words then led to what we have now, the fired leadership methodology. And so it's a, it's a deliberate attempt for me to say, right, Look at the leaders that you're marginalizing, discrediting, um, treating in contradictory ways, like the Sam Altmans, the Greg, Gregs of the world, um, and ask yourself why you're doing that. 
So, so I think the biggest thing coming out of this for me in my work is that there's now an opportunity for organizations to, to open up and create the conditions to embrace these kinds of leaders. But to embrace these kinds of leaders, here's the, here's the spoiler alert. Organizations need to be willing to look themselves in the mirror and say, how are we complicit in this, in creating this debacle, this operatic you know, show, as you mentioned earlier, and really doing something with what they see back. And, and it's until, you know, Amy Edmondson talks about in psychological safety and her work around that, like you can't have that until or unless you create the conditions and the fertile soil. So this gives opportunity to organizations to create the fertile soil so that these kinds of leaders are embraced. In fact, that they're welcomed. They're part of the way you look for future talent. So, yeah, it's 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 an interesting, you know, and I would say, you know, I don't want to single those guys out because there are millions upon millions upon millions of fired leaders as we speak. I get contacted quite a lot from people that say, I demonstrate these qualities. I wish I had the courage that you have to talk about this openly. Well, I see a day where we've created organizational environments where that's the case, that you can talk openly about these challenges and your approach to leadership and not have any repercussion or fear of reprisal in some way. Am I optimistic? Maybe. Am I naive? Possibly. Do I care? No. No. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm doing it. Yeah, so, no, I, anyway. I, I think I think what's really important also is to understand that, you know, for people listening, there has not been a playbook out there to date that speaks to what you're speaking about, covers what you're talking about, and puts it on display. There has not been a playbook. There now is. I'm hopeful. I totally agree with you. I am so hopeful that yeah. people pick this up and not only encounter and experience and embody what what i did when i was an early reader of it which is i felt affirmed right maybe not vindicated but affirmed i felt seen mm. i felt a belonging i went back to all those times and that i thought to myself maybe i'm crazy and i said you're not crazy you were never crazy you were you were more in tune than most could understand and i'm hopeful mm. that People pick up this book and, you know, the accompanying ebooks and say, I don't have to be alone in this. And I can actually change the organizations that I'm in, but probably more importantly, formulate the organizations that I want to be a part of, you know, hat tip to, you know, the person who sort of uh, beatified you, the, the father of Gen Z or maybe even Gen Alpha, right? Um, and two and a half million of those are being born every week. Yeah. Right. So yeah. this is something we need to think about next. Yeah. Gen Alpha. You just got a lot of children. <laughs> um, <laughs> no DNA tests, please. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I say that in jest, but at the same time in a hopeful way, because right, there are so many people out there, like you described, who need a lighthouse in this moment. Yeah. And there has not been a lighthouse for this in a really long time. And it's because you forged the cliff, you built it yourself, you lit the match, and you magnified the light. I mean, to me, that in itself is a journey, right? There'll probably be a book about the 
making of the book at some point. And I would love to maybe <laughs> talk a little bit about that with you. Like, mm. you know, being a published author, but having worked for an entire year to research and research and research and really refine things so that even the doubters can't refute. And now you have something, right? You have something that you can hold in your hands. You have something that's going to go out to the world. Yeah. What was that like? I mean, the, so many people probably listening also would love to write or maybe have written, but just haven't published. Can you talk a little bit about that experience? Because I know you and I got to sort of uh, be a support to each other as we were going down different paths, right? Yeah. I decided to self-publish something very different, poetry, <laughs> and you you decided to essentially publish a manifesto <laughs> that's yeah. going to change the world um, in a more traditional, albeit slightly hybrid mm. model. So I would love for you to talk about that. Yeah, uh, just before I do, I wanted to, to come back to, to something you said about playbook. Um, so you, you've you read the book and, and a bunch of others have, and, and what they haven't seen yet is the accompanying playbook. And so, and I design, and, and this this will probably go into this next conversation about um, what, you know, the process to, to write a book and the whole experience. So I, I've read hundreds of leadership books. I've read, I've read the greats. I've read the classics. I've read the, you know, the exploratory ones and I've read a bunch of material. And this is, <laughs> this is where a lot of leadership scholars or thought leaders kind of like I can you can I can see them calling for my head on a spike so just you know but but it's true regardless and whether they 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 disagree or not because I've seen it um every book is written in in the following formulaic fashion and people will deny this but this is how they're written and again I'm the D direct and transparent no unvarnished truth here this is the complete package honesty Every book's written in the same way. Section one, here's the problem, as I see it. I'll use some research stats to show my point of view. And if I'm if I'm authentic, I'll show both sides of the story. Um, section two, and I'll take no real role in like judging this. I'll just say, this is how it is. We need a different way. Section two is, here's my solution. Right? Here's what I propose to, to address that. And section three is, okay, is five, maybe 10 things that, that you can do right now to, to take my solution into your organization. But I want to take you to my website and get you into the land of my products and services. And I say this very publicly again, you know, I'm a capitalist, but I'm a capitalist with conscience. And I, I have seen the way that this funnel pipeline lead magnet thing operates and LinkedIn is flooded with what I call empty bag, paper bag, influencers and thought leaders you know don't even get me started on that but you know come up with an idea because it's trending and then all of a sudden there's a 97 dollars program discount codes apply and then they go and then and then they they disappear true difference makers stand the test of time and that's people like me and people like you and others that are in in our tribes they're making a difference by the work they're doing by the thoughts they're having they're their thoughts original thoughts and so I say that as a as a lead into the fact that in my book, I have followed section one and section two, but I I want to give away my playbook, and I've developed countless you know uh, in organisations you know leadership development transformation OD I've developed all these playbooks I've done this for 
lots of different brands of consulting firm. And I know the way the consulting firms work. I know the game. I've been part of the game. I wanted to stay in the game. I didn't want to do any of this, right? But this gnawing I said earlier about the hypocrisy, um, but I, I, it, it wouldn't leave me. So what I've done is I've put an end-to-end roadmap together, which has about 40, 50 activities or so that says, right, Bill, if you read the book and you like what you see and you're out there and you want to do something with this, you don't, you don't need to talk to me. You don't need to contact me. Here's a playbook. Modify it. Amend it. Take it as it is, but take it into your organization and try something. And I've, I've divided it into three sections, right? It's kind of like almost, you know, setting the stage, um, moving into stage two, which is the doing and then sustaining. Sustaining is stage three. And I've given activities that, that I know that have worked in other contexts where I've gone in and done similar projects with leadership teams and uh, helping with multi-million dollar transformations. And I've done it. And I said this on my, my video on the, the website for the book. I'm doing it because it's the right thing to do, right? I'm, I'm not the guy that's going to kind of come in and charge you millions and millions of dollars. This, this roadmap in itself is about two to three million dollars of actual activities that you can do. And I want to do that because I mentioned earlier, I want to create this ecosystem of a million people around the world doing something with this work. This is an excellent way of getting people to own it, right? And get it into their own environments, modify it, make, make it yours. Tell me what worked, tell me what didn't work, add to the, the IP. This is my, my, my kind of idea is to open source the future of leadership. So saying all of that, you know, I want to empower people, put this in their hands. As I started to write this book, the, the the book writing process for me was not a linear one and I'll, I'll condense it, but there's a lot more in this. Um, end of 2017, I had an idea, started to think about writing a book about this whole thing. I started to, to put my thoughts down. I hired a book coach uh, and all these people are lovely people, by the way. So I'm not aiming to, to discredit or throw anyone under the buses, but I want to document my story in, in a, in a two minute overview to you and listeners, and, and we can dive wherever we want to dive after that. Um, hired a book coach. Book coach basically said, you're not a very good writer. You need someone to write the book for you. Now, by the way, all, all the time, I mentioned my spiritual and emotional journey of maturation and, and, and evolving. The universe was giving me signs that I didn't pick up on or that I ignored because of ego or whatever it was, right? So, or insecurity, paranoia, right? Um, so I hired the book coach to be the writer, right? The universe gave me that was my first sign. Paul, don't listen to other people. You've got this, write it yourself. My insecurity said, can't do that. Took the person's word, lovely guy, took him on as a, a ghostwriter for the book. Took the book. He took the book away from what I was trying to do. Ironically, and it's not, it's not lost on me, I had to fire him. I had to take him off the project. Lovely guy, parted ways amicably, still talk to him to this day. That was the second sign from the universe. You've got to write the book yourself. Didn't do it, did I? Started getting more insecure. The book sat around, the idea sat around, and then I hired another ghostwriter. And at the same time, I started to, to work with a publisher. And the ghostwriter, lovely guy, we're friends to this day, um, had some challenges, mental health challenges that. Uh, prevented him from doing a lot of the work that was required. 
And unfortunately, we in a year, we got a chapter, one chapter in one year. And I, everybody said to me, go through litigation, get your money back. But I said, no, I have faith in this guy. I have faith in this guy. I want to do something really different. I really believe in this guy. And so the book sat around, not being worked on. He came back online, um, but then it didn't, he didn't come fully back online. Um, and then we, you know, we had the publisher and the publisher was trying to take the book away from the vision as well. So I had to get rid of the publisher. Again, great publisher, uh, probably would love to work with them at some point in the future, but they, they weren't understanding. And I was asking myself, is it me? Am I not articulating what this is? But I was very clear. And I, I sound like a broken record for the last five years because I've said the same thing and people weren't getting it. And I was like, is it me? I'm not articulating it. Have I not got enough meat on the bone yet to, to show this? Have I not developed the IP and the offerings? So anyway, this little thing called COVID runs comes around. So that was my third data point, my third sign from the universe, right? And so everything collapsed. The world imploded, started to burn. And I was in uh, in the mountains uh, on my own. And I said, uh, uh, thank you. Third universe point. I've listened. I'm going to write the book. And so I wrote the book. And I in seven weeks, I wrote 120,000 words. And I used the following approach to guide my, my writing. I only write when I feel like it. Never read my writing back again and don't share it with anyone. That's it. That was it. Seven weeks, 120,000 words. And then my, my original, my, my writer came back online. We spent the next six or so months tidying it up. Um, but it's my voice. It's my work. It's my thinking. And it's the universe gave me all of this, these gifts and I denied, I didn't accept them until I had no other choice because I was sitting around, the world was collapsing. I was like, hey, what am I going to do? So I, I, I went down that path. And so that's what got the book to, to like being a finished product. This book's been ready since the end of October 2021. I then pitched live on Clubhouse to a literary agent who was uh, featured as one of North America's best literary agents. I said, I'm going to try and get this traditional publisher uh, I'm going to get this into the traditional publishers because there's nothing like this book. And I pitched this live on air and I said to her, um, nothing like this exists. Uh, and she said, if I had a dollar for every time I heard that, you know, blah, blah, and, and laughed me off stage. And so I found her details. I found what I needed to find. I put a proposal together, sent it to her. She said, you're right. You know, I did a little video that accompanied it and, and told, told her what I was doing. She said, you're right. I want to represent you. And that's what started another year of my life. Um, so now we're coming to the end of 2022, right? Where she got it in front of Simon Schuster's, HBR, Wiley's, HarperCollins. A bunch of these were interested. But here's, here's again, here's what people won't tell you, but I'm going to tell you, um, is a lot of these authors, a lot of the work that these, these, um, these publishers put out there and these journals and stuff, they say their audience is the they want bold and innovative um, content and that they write for these kinds of audiences uh, and that they are at the forefront of innovation. I got rejected primarily for two reasons. And and this, I, I won't name any of these names, by the way, but but this literary agent was very well respected in, in their field. So when you send a manuscript off to a traditional publisher, typically no one responds. 
and that's it, game over, dream's dead. But she would get one or two sentences back from every one of these editors of all of these, these organizations and said, love the concept. Um, and she was well-respected. So she got all this response from people, love the concept, but, and it was these two reasons every time. You're not a Simon Sinek or an Adam Grant. You don't have that followership. I'm thinking, do I want that? That's a whole other conversation. So you're not, because they're looking at it price per unit as a book, right? How many millions of copies can we sell? So you don't have that number of followers yet. Um, and secondly, lean in for this point. Your work is too bold and too innovative. And it might alienate our audience. WTF. Really? And, and one of these, these publishers came to me and they wanted me to, to tell them why I wanted to work with them. And I said, with all due respect, you approached me. You love the idea. There's three books planned. You love the idea. But to quote Brené Brown from earlier, if you're not going to do the hard work with me and get in the arena, what's the point? What's the point coming back when I've got all these followers? Because I'm building more than just a book. I'm building a uh, it, it's a quest. It's a pathway of the future of leadership, which includes a book or three and a whole other stuff. So then I was then I was faced with a choice bill, which was like it's end of 2022. Man, this book has been ready for a few years now. Right. And the universe said to me, right, you've got to just get this book out in 2023. So I went out and I, I looked at different publishers in the hybrid world. So I had the option of, you know, self-publishing or traditional publishers or wait around to see if, you know, if any of them were interested. And I was like, no, the world needs this now. So I went with partner publishers, but I actually ironically got um, two or three offers from other smaller traditional publishers, but I went with a, a hybrid out of the UK that I've been working with. And we're, we're obviously getting to the point where the book is coming out um, 27th for the Kindle 28th for um, the, the actual book itself. So the whole process has been really uh, plagued with opportunities for, you know, for what Gary Ridge, you know, the, the XWD 40 CEO says learning moments and Gary Ridge has endorsed the book as well. Like right? one of the most prolific CEOs of his generation, who's written, who, who's written and led about compassionate leadership and said, actually, I can make this company a shit ton of money by being a compassionate human and compassionate leader. The two can forge. And so when he wrote an endorsement on my book, I was just thrilled, absolutely thrilled. And, and so, so the, the, the process to become what you see in front of you now with the book has not been an easy one. And it's been filled with a lot of different, um, you know, I'll just say it. A lot of snake oil salesmen, a lot of people saying they can promise this, they can deliver this, they can do this. Or when I've got these things worked on, someone comes along and says, no, we can improve that. And, and, and the world is just full of all of these, these different, they, they're well-meaning they're well sometimes, they're well-intentioned. But all stages of this process, like the Sam Altmans of the world and the Greggs, right, I have been focused on my vision. When, when people said to me, I don't understand it, what are you doing? I would say to them, just wait, trust the process, right? When they said, you're writing a book about being fired, we want to get you on Oprah's couch. No, that's why the first publisher I worked with had to go. They I wasn't sensationalizing this work. It's not what I'm about. What I'm about is thought leadership, 
that changes the narrative, that gets people doing something differently and embeds that as the way it now is. So we go from normalized dysfunction to normalizing a disruption, a disruptive approach to the future of leadership. And that, inc that includes the industry of publishing, it includes the industry of marketing, of website design, of storytellers, of PR agencies, all of these vendors I've worked with and had conversations with, they needed to see something more tangible before they believed it, which maybe is a symptomatic issue of the world. Conceptually, we, we tend to find it challenging to grasp concepts until we can see something. So now, now everybody sees a book and they're like, oh, that's what you've been doing for the, all you know these years. And I'm like, you know, what do you say? You chuckle. And again, you just on the, on the pathway, I just say, it's all part of the process. And yeah. yeah, it's been a painful one, Bill. And, um, you know, I, I, I volunteer my time to talk with potential authors as well to say, you know, let me help you avoid and navigate some of these landmines that yeah. you're going to experience when you think about publishing a book, because it's not for the faint hearted and your vision will be battered. Your vision will be questioned. There will be people that come out of the woodwork and say, why are you doing this? I saw this being done over there. Well, no, you didn't because I've done the research. It's not over there. And having a unique point of view, you know, one of, one of, he, he's an informal mentor to mine, to me. Uh, and he's actually on one of the panel discussions next week uh, that we're having about the book, John Spence, you know, he's one of the most um, influential business experts and strategic thinkers in the world. He's he's just looked at my work, read my work, loves it, has endorsed it, and, it, and is just so heartfelt that that someone like that and others of that ilk have taken an interest, right? And and one of the things he said, when I think I think maybe I'm getting this story muddled up, but John, please keep me honest if you're listening to this. Um, he was presenting in, in, into the billionaires club and about ideas and he was leveraging some of tom peter's work and he had his own work and he was talking about his own work but he was talking more about other people's work than his own and feedback from from the the panel suggested great that you're doing that and tying into your work but we want to hear about your stuff what's your stuff you've got a point of view john tell us your point of view and that's something he said to me about like just stand to your what you said bill earlier like when you stand from a place of owning your truth, I call it standing in my conviction. I'm not trying to convince anybody. I know what I'm doing. I know the path. I'm intentional with my approach. And the feedback was, if you've got something to say and you've got a unique point of view, own it. Don't be shy about it. Don't be ashamed of it. Like, yeah, I get imposter syndrome every day. I get insecurity every day about what I'm doing. I'm like, shouldn't I just go back to a safe corporate job? You know, um, but the train's left the station now. This is this is new ways of doing things and thinking, and we can't put the genie back in the bottle. So, I appreciate you walking everyone through that experience of the journey of the book itself, because in, in some sense it feels like, and I know you and I have talked about this even from the standpoint of the thought leadership and podcasts and whatnot. It feels companion, right? It's it's like a it's a part of you that is this living, breathing been through the trials and tribulations and i think it's important for other authors aspiring authors current authors to hear the fact that as you said these systems are still in place to discourage to dissuade 
to make you feel like you need them more than they need you. But here's the thing, your original ideas, your story, your perspective is like no others. And I'm saying that to every listener, right? That's that's not only the case for Paul and for me, but for every listener. Your unique print on this world is that. And you will encounter, mm-hmm. as you said, Paul, publishers and ghostwriters and marketers and people on LinkedIn that will say, oh, you should do it this way. Go back to your vision, go back to your purpose, go back to your drive, go back to your truth at all times. And I think it's interesting, part of the reason for me, my learnings in alongside you, right, as we discuss the publishing journeys and the explorations, you know, while you were navigating the the publishing houses and the hybrids of the world, I ended up just totally going self-publishing for, for different reasons, but also because I wanted to learn. Mm. And I learned how difficult it is and how many barriers and impediments, I'll use that word because it's a great word, how many impediments are thrown in your way as a self-published author all the way to the finish line to try and get you to throw in the towel and call an agent or call a designer or call a a conduit to a publishing house. But the thing they didn't realize is I wasn't going to give up. And probably more importantly, I wanted to learn the process for myself for the same reasons you just stated, because I want to be a mentor to future authors because their voice belongs out there. Their story belongs out there. That's why I do the podcast to echo these stories like this, because if somebody has the courage after hearing this and says, I'm going to go pursue this, then I believe the world's better for their story. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, and, and, and thank you. I know I know your journey for your work has also been, as you said, you know, it's got had some impediments. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people don't necessarily talk about that. You know, I think, I think um, you know, the reality, the harsh reality that, again, may, may uh, offend some people, but the bigger the name that you become, generally you have teams of people doing the work for you and writing your work and i never want to be that and i i with my three you know three kind of uh clues from the universe before i finally got got the idea i'm like oh okay so there's such a there's such a a sense of accomplishment in knowing that you've written something that yes can be kind of tweaked and polished and and refined by others perhaps and and alliance and partnering with but but every single one of us you know has a unique um fingerprint and you know one of my friends who who does work in this area around like people's own unique fingerprint for change and how people process change um she does great work in this area Jacqueline Keppers and she kind of she's also an author uh, at this point trying to to get her ideas out there and I think has been experiencing um some of these things we've talked about and alluded to but i i would say the overwhelming message is that when when people don't understand you and what you're doing don't give up when people try and discredit you and undermine you don't give up when when people try and question it like i had um someone again bearing in mind we've had 50 endorsers of the book of very high caliber in academics space in the industry of leadership and hr we've had founders and startup companies we've had 
true thought leaders. We've had that kind of four different categories of um, people endorse the book. And one, I, I had, again, in the spirit of being direct and transparent, because I know no other way, you know, one endorser that I wanted to write the book basically started to read the book, apparently, and refused and said, there's nothing new here. Now, I resisted my ego because my ego wanted to go back and say, because the reality was they didn't read the book. They hadn't read the book. And the other thing that, that it showed me was that that person, the little bit that they did read, they, they were still in the matrix. They weren't prepared to open up and, sh and, and face the reality that actually what they were propagating was a broken system. And so I welcome them to reread the book. They know who they are. Um, but but my point of that is when someone and, and this person was was someone that I, I wanted to endorse the book in an academic context. And I look, looked at that and I spent a bit of time reflecting on it. So but that's one person out of all of these others. Who's who's right here? Right. And so. The ego gets in the way, the insecurities, the imposter syndrome gets in the way. But again, my message to people is when people try and tell you that your book isn't anything special, don't give up. Right. Now, what I did in that context was I just thanked them for their time and I didn't entertain the idea that I wanted to for my ego, which was to say, you clearly haven't read the book, have you? Because if you had, you would not be saying that. So don't don't bullshit me. Right. And so but I didn't say that. But I, I rose above it, right? Again, be above reproach. People are going to try and discredit you. People are going to try and say, well, they're my ideas. And you you can go down and fall into that trap. But to your point, Bill, earlier, everyone has a unique point of view. And the only thing that stops those unique points of view getting out to the world is us. And so, you know, like, again, the open AI example, stick to the courage of your conviction. Remember why you did this. And, you know, when I've had family members and friends, and as I mentioned earlier, people kind of basically walk away from me. Um, and then I've had people say, you'll never write a book in my family. And, you know, nothing will change. What are you doing this for? I'm like, thank you. That's interesting. Thanks for your feedback. But I'm carrying on. Thank you. And, and if we can be above reproach and just be civil and courteous and loving, and loving kindness that's that's the path forward truly that's the path forward um i want to before we wrap here a couple of things i wanted to share um one is i'd love to read the endorsement that i gave the book because i've actually never said it aloud and i think it might be fascinating to hear aloud <laughs> um you know as mm. as you mentioned i was one of the early readers um and it was such an honor to get to do that uh in many ways, right? Because to be alongside and, and our many conversations and and what folks listening may not know is that, you know, Paul and I have uh, had many conversations, not just about this, but life and trials and tribulations and loss and grief. And I've been so honored to sort of have um, sort of someone who is walking that walk, um, not just talking the talk in a very busy world, but walking that walk. And it's really, it's really great to be able to just kind of pick up the phone or jump on a meeting with you and just kind of say, Hey, here's where I'm at and, and, and vice versa. Right. Um, so when, when you asked me to be an early reader, I was certainly honored. I read through it feverishly because again, as I, as I mentioned, it was this sense of, wow, 
these are experiences on this page that um, I never thought would have affirmation for me, right? A sense of my my trauma, my loss, my experience is actually being uh, described and honored in a way, which is important. It goes back to sort of the loving kindness, compassion. If we had more of that, we probably wouldn't need to write books like this in the world. But that's part of what led to this mm -hmm. endorsement that I wrote for you, which um, when I went back and I read it recently, I thought, wow, it has a lot of uh, power to it, but I think it's worth reading if for no other reason so that people can hear it. So my endorsement uh, reads as follows. Hypocrisy and duplicity line the walls of the well of leadership development programming, perpetually poisoning how we recruit, onboard, train, and retain top talent. It's not only a broken system. We are poisoning, excuse me, we are poisoning ourselves and others. It is time to change that. Paul's work and calling formulates the alchemical antidote to help systems and enterprises and humans heal, thereby recasting a future full of possibilities and potential. The future is made possible by what Paul calls disruptive leadership, and that is the future currency down payment for lasting innovation and lasting change. A must-read for book a must-read book for leaders, creators, disruptors, and changemakers. That was my endorsement. Mm. Yeah, I love it. I think one one word that comes out to mm -hmm. me is heal. The word heal, and you know, I. I so what is one thing talking about broken systems and approaches and and processes and stuff, and I think we all forget that we're all human, and. We turn up to a workplace, whatever level we're at, a leadership level, and, and there's expectations and perceptions and self-perceptions and insecurities that we all bring to the table. And, and you know, I'm, I'm reminded of um, some of the research McKinsey did recently around why people leave organizations is because of uncaring leaders. And I think it was 86% of people that were surveyed by McKinsey left their organization because of uncaring leaders. Now, I mentioned earlier in my journey of maturing and evolving on this path, uh, and I'm meeting people where they are, as opposed to just throwing grenades in the middle of the room to blow up, blow the system up. And to that point, you know, one of the things I now start to do is I want to understand where the leader's at. That, un that leader that's perceived as uncaring is why someone leaves the organization. Okay, we're going to deal with that and talk about this archaic structures and systems that are outdated to, to address this. But what must the person that's in that role be thinking and feeling? Like we all play a part. And, you know, the uncaring leader might have made you leave, might have fired you. But what are they going through? And what healing do they need to have? And what healing can we collectively have and learn from it, from this experience? So, so I guess you know for those that ever doubted my work or thought that i was just trying to hold the mirror up to people and say you know i'm i'm some sanctimonious kind of like you know condescending preacher not at all not at all trying to trying to heal the fabric of a broken system is more than just about the systems and the structures it's about the people that are in those environments and we in the book I mentioned, like 
you know, we we every morning we get up and and we brush our teeth. It's like routine, right? We broke we brush our teeth and we look probably look in the mirror. And every day we look in the mirror, we have an opportunity to say to ourselves, Am I gonna play the game, the political game today? Or am I gonna be who I am? Everybody's got to make that choice for themselves. I see a world where the future doesn't have politics in the workplace. Um, but it starts with you, starts individually. What do you need to heal individually first so that you can go out to the organization and be your best self? And so, you know, I, I love your endorsement and I, I love everything you've mentioned there. And just at this time of where I'm at on my path on this journey, the word heal really resonates. Um, and then if we take that even wider, you know, we could talk about individuals, teams, organizations, industry, but also bigger than that, planetary and, you know, everything that's going on around the world in all pockets of the world. And and I just I wonder if we take a healing approach, then we can meet people where they are and, and truly live from an empathetic perspective and not worry about ego and judgment and blame and all of that. And that's what I believe is also key to evolving the future of leadership. I couldn't have said it better. Um, thank you, Paul, for coming back on and bringing us all the way through this journey. I am going to put in the show notes for folks that are listening. There will be a link in the show notes where you can order Paul's book and there'll be a special discount for the Coffee and Change listeners. Before we wrap up, Paul, is there anything else you wanted to share or say or point us to during this time of um, I mean, self-healing, right? This is really what uh, I'm so glad we end there because mm. that's what this has been very much for me since the first time I listened to your story in 2020. Yeah, I mean, I think, thank you. And I, and I think it's the question on my mind, which is every one of us has to answer this question. And that is, what are you prepared to put up with? in your organization, whatever level you're at, what are you prepared and willing to put up with? And, and the answer will tell you everything you need to know about where you're at. And so when you're ready, you know, if you've downloaded, I'd love people to buy the book. I'd love people to, to start to really encapsulate what the pages of, you know, are kind of unfolding for people. Uh, if you don't, you know, you can clearly download that guide, that companion guide, uh, I think it's going to be available on the 29th, I think, um, from memory. Even if you haven't read the book, you can pick that up and start to say to yourself, what might I try in my organization? If I tried one thing, what would it be? And see how that makes a difference. And and then you'd be surprised. You'd actually be surprised the viral effect of that. And, you know, the, the, I get these questions, Bill, quite a lot, which is like, yes, Okay, for you to say all this, Paul, blah, 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 but you're not in our, in our reality, you're not in our situation. You know, we have this going on, this going on. And I get it. And I'm not here to defend or, uh, you know, talk about everybody's individual cases. But, but you can do one thing differently every day. And even if it's 1% movement, like you can do something. Start small. And take some stuff from this companion guide and, and modify it accordingly to where you're at and see what happens. So, That's how change happens. That's what I would say. One step at yeah. a time. One conversation mm -hmm. at a time. 
and they're not always going to be comfortable conversations but but the, the first conversation is with yourself and then it's a case of saying well there are others out there like me and we can find them and we are finding them so stand up for what you believe in and your conviction um it's going to be painful it won't be a you know an easy ride but it's worth it yeah thanks for being a lighthouse thank you for sharing yeah. your story bringing us up to speed um and i can't wait to see what 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 starts happening um starting next week <laughs> <laughs> i i have no idea again i've i've stopped predicting really i've just yeah i'm just gonna let the universe do its thing um and and yeah and those that are supposed to find me will find me yeah so yeah beautiful reminder thank you paul thank you bill enjoy the rest of your day and uh we'll talk soon appreciate it bye for now